0: Well, well, let's stand up, let's pray, let's get right in the Word of God here this morning. There's a good story you can tell. My wife says, at least that's a new joke. Oh, okay. If you've got any new jokes, let me know. Okay. Father, we bow before you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the rich, good Word of God that's alive. We thank you now as I come to teach today. I do not have to depend on my human abilities, but I do trust in you, and therefore I know that you will anoint my mind, that I might grasp revelation, that will rise in abundance from my heart within, and I thank you for supernatural recall of the scripture, and I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind under the sound of my voice, bringing faith. Uh, understanding, removing confusion, let your word enter every heart under the sound of my voice, bringing faith, dispelling every fear. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that's revealed and compassed through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said, Amen. Why don't you shake hands with somebody or give them a hug or give them a high five, do something, let everybody know that you welcome them to church this morning. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, this morning we begin a brand new series titled, Time to Refresh Our Faith. Say that time Time to refresh refresh our faith. faith. You know, Smith Wigglesworth was a man of faith. He got saved at about 50 years old. He used to be a plumber, uh, not really greatly educated, But he became one of the greatest evangelists, signs and wonders, miracle-working evangelists that ever walked the planet. He actually raised 21 people from the dead. Um, He would be summoned to a house where the person had been dead for a day or a few hours, and he would take the person, this man, let's say, and put him against the wall and hold him against the wall and start screaming at the top of his voice walk in the name of Jesus, walk in the name of Jesus, and he would carry on shouting at that guy for 10, 15 minutes, and then he would start walking, start walking. So we can listen to a man who tells us how faith works if he is doing that, right? So I said that to say this. He used to have a pocket New Testament, and every time he would eat, Every time we'd eat, whether he had friends around or not, whether it was out of a restaurant or not, he'd take out his New Testament and he would say, well, we fed the body, now let's feed our faith. And he'd read a scripture or two from the Word and talk about it. Now, he continually built his faith. So it's time to refresh our faith. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to start the series by understanding the foundation principle of faith. Say that, the foundation Foundation. principle of faith. If you'll catch this today, you'll understand how faith works in every realm, because faith works the same in every realm. Faith works the same to deal with every problem in life and circumstance of life. The basic principle is the same, all right? We're going to study this, and then we're going to go on to see how to use this principle as we go on in our series. All right, let's go to Mark 11, please, verse 20. Uh, verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12. And let's put up the map for me, please, of the old city of Jerusalem as it was in the time of Jesus. Okay. Now, the next day, when they came out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now, Jesus was staying in Bethany for the night. He was staying with Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was a personal friend of Jesus. Bethany was on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, about a mile mile and a half, I'd say, a mile and a half from the city we've been there. So approaching Jerusalem, he would walk along the road towards the Mount of Olives which looked down into the Kidron Valley, and on the other side of the Kidron Valley was Mount Moriah, and Jerusalem was built on Mount Moriah. So let's have a look at that on the map now. So here's Bethany, and he'd walk along this road. Here is the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives, the place where Jesus would gather to pray a lot. And then he would look down through the Kidron Valley to the other side. And this mountain was called Mount Moriah, which ran from the south point to the north point, about two miles long. And this is the Temple of Herod, built on the exact site where the Temple of Solomon used to be built before it was destroyed. Now, On Mount Moriah was the temple of King Herod. Originally, the temple of Solomon was built there, which was later destroyed. Mount Moriah is the place where God told Abraham to offer Isaac, where God told Abraham to offer Isaac. And Mount Moriah is the place where the Lord Jesus was crucified, all right? So, very interesting here. Jesus was crucified on the north side of Mount Moriah, up there. I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, God said to Abraham many years before this, God said to Abraham, when um, in Genesis, go and offer your son, your only son Isaac on the altar, and he took a knife and was about to stab him. But first, before he went there, uh, in those years, back in Genesis, there was nothing there. It was just a, a hill with bush on it, nothing growing. Nothing, or nothing growing, nothing, no buildings, just a hill. That's many years before Jerusalem was built on that, that hill. So um, <clears throat> why did God tell Abraham to offer Isaac on that exact hill that Jesus was going to be crucified? Of all the earth, why did he do that? When God created man, He gave Adam authority over all the work of his hands. He put him in charge. Essentially, Adam became the god of this world. He gave it away. Then when Adam sinned, Satan hijacked everything from Adam, all Adam's authority. So, now Satan was the new god of this world. The Bible says so in 2 Corinthians 4.4 in the New Testament. And God is on the outside looking in. He had no authority. He gave it all away. So he came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, this is my problem. I want to help humanity, but I can't because I gave it all away. And you did too. But you were born here. And because you were born on the planet, you have certain rights. I want those rights so that I can bring my son to the earth legally. Legally. Because right now I can't. But if I give you all I am and you give me all you are, then we enter a blood covenant together. Whereas everything I own is yours and everything you own is mine. Then all your descendants, all your children belong to me. All your children belong to me. Okay? So that means I can bring my son through one of your children later on when I'm ready to. Namely, Mary. So, Abraham agreed. In my book on the covenant, I have the whole story how that all rolled out. But, he said, now, for the high court of heaven to allow me to sacrifice Jesus for the redemption of humanity. And for them to accept that and to be just, you have to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, on the altar. If you don't, I can't. Abraham said, fine. He believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if he wanted to, if he had to. So he went to Mount Moriah about to plunge a knife in it. God said, okay, I believe you're going to do it. Stop. There's an animal there. Sacrifice that instead. So the high court of heaven approved of Christ being born and sacrificed. So that's the reason for that. Now, Mount Moriah is the place where the Lord Jesus was crucified. Now there's, there are two places where religious people go on us, Christians, to Jerusalem, which they showed, and they showed them, which i you replace that. There are two places where they claim Jesus was born, uh, crucified. One is a, is a man-made tomb, um, owned by the Catholics, which is on this side of um, Jerusalem, and the other one is that spot there. Which one is correct? Which is the place where Jesus was really crucified? Well, let's think about it. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 19, and verse 41, that in the place where Jesus was crucified was a skull on the rock face called Golgotha. Now, how would that happen? Well, um, Herod took the rock to build this from the north side of Mount Moriah. He, took, he excavated Mount Moriah and took that rock and built this temple. Now, so Mount Moriah is a hill raised and has higher and lower points to it. So he excavated some of the higher point and left a smooth place where they built a road from Jerusalem through that area to Damascus. And you know the road to Damascus is where Paul met the Lord and he got saved. Anyway, that road runs past the north side, out the north side of the city of Jerusalem. And that road is on Mount Moriah, even though it's smooth and flat along with the rest of the city. But there's a section that's raised, and he, he excavated that raised section and left a face wall, like this wall right here, all the way along, uh, about 40 feet high, and on that face wall, there's a skull, and the skull wasn't created intentionally, it was by accident after excavation, and the temple was built. by, notice the skull. I'm going to see if I've got a picture to show you that might work. Uh, now, can you see that? You can. Maybe at the back you can see, but it's a lot clearer if you're standing there. This is a picture taken on a phone, so it's not really that good. It's large too many times. There's an eye, there's an eye, there's a nose, and there's a mouth. But there are good pictures of it in, um, you can look it up online, you can find decent pictures of that skull called Golgotha. That is on the face at the Road to Damascus on Mount uh, um, um, Moriah. That's the place where Jesus was crucified. The Bible also says, and you can write this down. This is important. John 19, 41. John 19, 41. In John 19, 41, the Bible tells us that in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And so for a garden to be there, you'd need a well. Otherwise, you couldn't have a garden in that area. And there was no well in the whole area except right there at that cross, uh, at the at Golgotha. 100 meters from it, there was a well and a garden. And then the Bible also says in that very same scripture that there was a tomb, a new tomb. No one had ever been used, okay? Cut out of solid rock, hewn out of a mountain, a rock. Not built, but cut out, carved out of rock. So about a hundred yards from Golgotha's skull, there is a tomb and there is a garden right there in the same place and there is a well. All those clues come together at that spot. So obviously that is the Bible place where Jesus was crucified, not the man-made tomb. All right, now Mount Moriah is about two miles long from east to west. Jesus was crucified on the north side and the temple of Solomon and the temple of Herod were on the south side. Right on the south end was the city of David. So this city here that you see is the city of David and it became the city of Jerusalem as it grew. That's where David built his city. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, right? Looking, he's arriving now from Bethany and he's on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane where he used to pray uh, in the olive grove and there were a few fig trees there. And he was looking over the valley, the Kedron Valley at the temple of Herod, which he was now approaching to preach there. He was going to preach there. Verse 13, please. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, Jesus went to see if perhaps he would find something on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So people have said, well, why would the Lord Jesus be looking for figs on a fig tree when it was not the season for figs? And the reason is that in that part of the country, when the trees had leaves, they also had trees figs. So that was not a productive tree. Now another good point is if Jesus were operating in his godly powers as God, he would know there are no figs on the tree. He would not have to walk up to it to look. So clearly, even though he is God manifest in the flesh, he laid aside his godly powers and operated on the earth as a man to take our place as a man on the cross to redeem mankind. And you can see that in Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7 tells us, He laid aside His godly powers to become a man, took on the form of a slave or a man to redeem us. So, He made a great sacrifice to do that. That's why it's possible for Jesus to sin, even though He never did. He trusted God to keep Him holy and faithful throughout His life. Now, go to verse 14, please. In response, Jesus said to the fig tree, because there's no figs on it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Let no one eat fruit from you, fig tree, ever again. Say this, Jesus spoke to the tree. He told the tree, you will never have fruit. Okay. And did he think it? No, his disciples heard it. So Jesus used his faith to speak to the tree. So our faith can work exactly the same way as Jesus' faith did right here in all circumstances. What Jesus did there was a release of faith, and that is how faith works in every dimension in every realm. He spoke what he believed, okay? Verse 15, please. So they came to Jerusalem, and obviously Jesus preached. Then, after that, verse 19, when evening had come, Jesus went out of the city, went back to Bethany, back to Lazarus' house, his friend's house, to stay there for the night. Now, the next morning, Jesus made the same journey from Bethany to the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kedron Valley and the Mount Moriah. And uh, while they were there on uh, the Mount of Olives, Peter saw the fig tree, which Jesus spoke to, and it had withered away. It had dried up. Verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Wow, in one day. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Look, Rabbi. The fig tree, which you blessed, has withered away. He said cursed. Now, Jesus just spoke to tree. Surely that's not a curse, would it be? But Jesus said this, right? The next verse. And Jesus said, I never cursed the tree. I just spoke to it. Is that what it said? No, it didn't say that. He ignored the subject. What's that mean? That means that Jesus acknowledged he cursed the tree. You got it? Say so this negative speaking is a curse. Now, verse 22, this is what Jesus said about that. He said, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. The Lord did not correct Peter. Now, all he said was that no one eat fruit from you, and it was a curse. Now, unfortunately, we both know, we all know somebody who has spoken negatively about something in their life. For example, their children. This is typical of what somebody might say. My wife and I were never smart at school, and so I guess our children will be dumb. Or... You know, my wife and I were never good at sports when we were small. So I guess our kids will have no ability to play sports. They'll just be stupid on the sports field. Uh, And you know, my wife and I never had any music ability, not an ounce. So I guess our kids will be, will never sing a note in tune. Now, they just curse their children if they said that, right? Now... People who say that might as well take their children down to the local witch doctor and tell the doctor, witch doctor, put a curse on my kids, curse their intelligence, curse their music ability, curse their sports ability. Which is worse? They're both the same. Whether witch doctor does it, witch doctor doesn't, or, or we do it, it's the same. It's the same. We need to wise up, family. And realize when we speak doubt and unbelief to ourselves or our family, our business, our money, our marriage, we are cursing ourselves. And you know what? We put laws into motion when we do that. We put laws into motion. And after a period of time, they cannot be reversed. Listen carefully here now. When these laws start bearing fruit... They cannot be reversed. These are laws we are playing with, just like the law of gravity. There's a law called the law of faith, and you use that law against ourselves very often. Our tongue can be a great weapon for us or a great weapon against us. We need to realize that, dear family. Mark 11, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. He said, you saw what I did this tree. Now I'm saying to you, have faith in God. Jesus was saying, you saw me use my faith. Now I'm saying to you, you do the same thing. You do the same thing. The World New Testament says it this way. Have the God kind of faith. The margin of my Bible says, have the God kind of faith. No, the waterhole says have the faith of God. And my Mar- marginal Bible says have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. So Jesus just showed them that he had the God kind of faith. And he wants them to have the God kind of faith. And he tells them now in the next verse how to use the God kind of faith. Let's read it. Verse 23. Jesus said, for assuredly I say to you. Now, you know, I don't need God to say for assuredly. If God just say this is how it is, that's good enough for me. Right? Apostle Luke, if God says, do this, do you need him to say assuredly you need to do this? <laughs> just do this is good enough, right? Now, when he says assuredly, which means it's this way and no other way, then we have to perk up and watch and see what he's saying. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says... now. Say this, whoever Whoever means means whoever, whoever because that's what whoever means. means. Amen? Amen. So does whoever mean godly people? Does it ever mean evil people? Does it ever mean a Christian? Does it ever mean a Satan worshiper? It does. Whoever means whoever. Okay, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, will be done, he shall have whatever he says. Mm -hmm. Now, he's standing on the Mount of Olives, right? standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley and the city of Jerusalem. And he says, whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Now, Somebody said, no, he, that's, he's not really talking about moving mountains. Why not? Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon. and said, stand still. And it stood still. 23 hours. Right? Why not? And Moses spoke to the sea. Put his rod right out and parted. Elijah and Elisha spoke to the river Jordan and they parted. Moses spoke to a rock, a giant rock like a small mountain, and water came out to feed 3 million people and all their animals for 40 years. So I guess that Jesus is saying we can move the mountain if we, believe not, if we believe in the heart and say it with the mouth. The thing is, we don't really want to move mountains, so we're not working on that. But I believe it's possible. But here we need to analyze this first because there's a lot in here. Now let's think about that. Number one. Anyone says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart. So Jesus said, we mustn't doubt in the heart. He didn't say you mustn't doubt in your thinking. He said you must not doubt in your heart. So my faith will work as long as I don't doubt in my heart. Now the devil will put thoughts in your mind. He'll tell you no good, you're a failure, you're not going to make it. You just resist those thoughts or laugh at him. You put thoughts in your mind. You don't want to think bad stuff. You know it's not you because that's not you. So I resist that in Jesus' name. But he can't put thoughts in your your heart. You put thoughts in your mind, but you just have to resist it. It can't hurt you. But how do I know I'm not doubting in my heart? Because you can doubt in your head and still faithful work. But you may not doubt in your heart. So, how do I know then that I'm not doubting in my heart? Okay, let's have a look at what Jesus said, please, in John. Uh, sorry, Luke six forty-five. Luke six forty-five. Let's see what Jesus said. He said, "A good man are the good treasure of his heart. That'll be the word in his heart, or a good confession." In his heart brings forth good things brings forth good things so um, God didn't say he brings it forth he said the good man brings it forth by putting God's word in his heart he brings it forth the good man of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man Out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Now, how does that happen? The next verse explains how it happens. For, because, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you speak out of your heart, it comes forth in your life. Good things, whatever you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, comes to pass. Here's the key. The Lord showed me this about 15 years ago while I was meditating in this particular verse one day and I almost jumped right out of my seat. Here it is. Here's the key of that. This is very powerful. If what I say from my heart comes out my mouth, then what's coming out my mouth comes from my heart. Say so that what comes out my mouth comes out my heart. So I know what my heart believes by just simply listening to my words. Say this, when I listen to my words, I know what I believe. When I listen to other people speak, I know what they believe. So you can face a problem and have all the doubt in the world in your head, but what you say about it determines what happens to it. Now let's look at that verse again, Mark 11, 23. Very important. Or well, open your Bible. I encourage you to bring Bibles to these series. Now let's start here. For surely I say to you, whoever says, put a circle around and says. To this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, put a circle around says. Well will be done. You'll have whatever he says, put a circle around says. Three says, right? Three. Okay. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Put a circle around, believes. One believe, three says. You see, our problem, Jesus is telling us here, is not so much in the believing area. Because read the Bible, we believe it. But we fall down in our saying what the Bible says. We fall down in our saying what we believe. We need to say three times more. We need to to brainwash ourselves three times more about the saying than we ever do about the believing. I mean brainwash. Wash our brains with the Word of God because they've been filled with stinking thinking. All that stinking thinking is doubt and unbelief. Amen. Says so this, I come to church to get brainwashed. Amen. Now we got it. Now we're making progress here. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, whoever says will have whatever he says if he believes in his heart what he says. This works for people who love God, and it works for people who hate God. It works for whoever. Sometimes good godly Christians say wrong things long enough until they believe them. And then they wonder why bad things happen to good people. And of course, Satan will try and attack every good Christian. But our shoulder faith will protect us, the Bible said, Above all, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench or stop every attack of the devil. And we're learning to do exactly that right here. Amen? Use your shield of faith. Speak to the problem. Speak to the problem. We call those things that be not as though they were. Then there are bad people, bad people, who say, good, who say good things or come in their way. And Christians stand in awe and wonder, how is it possible that this bad person is blessed so much? The Lord explained that 2,000 years ago. We've just been reading it. Let's say this together, please. I will have what I say, what I say. if I believe what I say. I what I say. And, and, and if I will say it long enough, I will believe what I am saying, and then it will come to pass. So Jesus is talking about the Mount of Olives, but that is also a type, an example, if you would, of the problems we face in life. It's an example of the problems we face in life. It represents the problems we face in life. It does not matter if you are extremely rich or extremely poor, if you are full of health or sick, if you are, have a blessed family or a struggling family, attacked by the enemy. If you apply these principles, your circumstances will change. They have to. This is God's work. This is God's principles. These are God's, this is God's word. This, the circumstances will change. Doesn't matter what the circumstances, we all need to know these principles. We are part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is our king, we are his subjects, and these are his principles in his kingdom. It's wonderful to know the king, but we need to know the principles of the king and apply the principles of the king in his kingdom. Jesus did not say, I want you to charge the mountain with a pick and a shovel, which will take 10 years to move it. He didn't say that. And most, unfortunately, most people do that. When problems come, the first thing they do is depend on all their natural resources. How am I gonna solve this? They, think they resort to their intelligence, their education, their bank balance, their friends, their contacts. Whatever problems they're facing, they look to natural resources immediately to try and fix the problem. Neglect the most important thing here, which Jesus said, he said, speak to that mountain. Talk to it, don't talk about it, talk to it. There's no problem with us using our resources. There's no problem with us using our friends, our finances, our lawyers, our doctors. There's no problem with doing that. If we speak to the circumstance, then it'll work. Our resources will work. For example, for example, it was not the sling that gave David victory over Goliath. It was his words. David said, This day the Lord will give you into my hands. It was those words of faith in God that conquered Goliath. Because when David said that, God anointed his sling and took that stone and carried that stone to Goliath's forehead. And he fell. So God slew Goliath with David's sling because of what David said. If David had just charged up to Goliath without confessing that, he would have been defeated. He would have been defeated. And most of us do that. We charge at our problems, our giants in life with our resources, our slings. And we forget to speak to that circumstance. But David said this day, The Lord will give you into my hands. And God gave him Goliath. You got it? We have to speak to our mountains. Don't talk about them, talk to them. If you talk about your mountain, it'll grow. If you talk to your mountain, it'll go. And when the problem arises, you speak to it and you call it what you want it to be. What you want it to be. The Bible tells us in Romans 4:17, God calls those things that be not as though they were. God calls those things that be not as though they were. In other words, I've, I've shared this with you many times before. Imagine you walk up to your thermostat in this building or at home, and you punch the number 70 degrees into your thermostat. OK? And let's say it's cold or hot, within a short time, the temperature will come to that exact number, 70 degrees. You call it what you want it to be, and then it changes. Say this, I call the circumstance what I want it to be, and keep saying to it what I want it to be, what I see it, and the way it is in my heart, and the circumstance will come to that number amen it'll change so then as I close let us carefully think about what to say to our problem I'll encourage you to write down on a piece of paper what you want to say to your problem call it as it is or what you want it to be so we're going to hand out a piece of paper to everybody here this morning Pass it on. Make sure you got one and a pen. Think about your biggest problem. You can do the other problems at home. Just deal with one problem now. We're going to walk you through this. So you've got it. By the time you leave, you'll know exactly how to do this. All right? So write down on that piece of paper, which is being handed out right now, a confession that talks to your problem and commands it to be what you want it to be. John is healed. I am prospering, I have that financial deal, uh, blah, 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 whatever it is, I have it, not going to get it, I have it now, it's done, call those things a be night, as so though they were, right, you got it, write it down, keep your hand up until we get you a piece of paper, then you can take it down so we know who hasn't got one yet, if you haven't got one, put your hand up, now write out your confession to that problem. No one else has to see it. You take it home. I don't want it. I don't want to see it. It's for you. Put it in your pocket when you're done. Okay. Write on that piece of paper, any problem you can think of, call it what you want it to be. My house is sold. My car is sold. I have a new car. This kind of car. For five years, I confessed I have my car. And now I've got it. I've got it. Amen. I've got it. It's paid off. It's paid off. So, <clears throat> I wasn't in a hurry. Every time I saw a car down the road, I was walking with somebody. I just said, You see that car there? I'll be driving that car soon. Yeah. <laughs> I have one. It's coming my way. I just confessed it, just left it. It happened right? It'll happen. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Now, I'd like you to add a scripture at the end of your confession, to back it, give it validity. Mark eleven twenty three. 23, we just looked at it. Whoever says this mountain, that's the one you want to write there. You don't have to write it out. You can write it out at home. Another good one is Numbers 14, 28. Numbers 14, 28. As I live, said the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I'll do unto you. Numbers 14, 28. Write that down. It's a good scripture to validate your confessing or confession. Okay? So you're doing what the Bible said. You can do it with confidence then, you see? Okay? So you write your confession. Now, when you've done that, When you've made your confession, stand up on your feet, and we're going to pray. Hold your piece of paper in your hand, we're going to pray and talk to that problem now. And we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. Like a pin going into a balloon, pop, it's going to go away. It's going to disappear. It's going to disappear. Amen? So this is the foundation principle of faith that works in every realm. And next week, just let you know, next week we're going to look at the faith of Abraham, how Abraham used his faith and what happened. It's a very powerful, powerful story, great example. It's going to help give us a whole new dimension of understanding how this principle works in the life of Abraham and the great things that you can accomplish by your faith, the great things you can accomplish your faith. And if ever we need to... Strengthen our faith, child of God, it's now in this world we live in. Amen? A lot of scary things going on, but if we've got faith, our faith is a shield. Protect us in all of our ways. Amen? All right. You ready? Are we waiting for anybody? Are we all standing? Okay. Now, just hold that piece of paper in your hand. And you're going to say it with your mouth. I'm going to lead you in the confession. You're going to say it with your mouth, but say it loud enough so that your ears can hear you. You don't have to shout it to everybody else who can hear you. But as long as your ears can hear what you say from your mouth. Just like Jesus spoke the fig tree. He didn't, he didn't think it. He spoke it. You have what you say. You got it? Say. Not think. Say. That's what he said, right? So we are going to what? Say. Okay. Right. Now say this. Father God. I thank you for your word. I believe with all my heart what Jesus taught us this morning is correct. And my faith works by saying it just like Jesus used his faith. And so I declare right now to this problem the following. Now go ahead and speak to that problem. Go ahead. Say exactly what's on that card. Okay, okay, when you're done, look up at me, and I'll know you're done. Are we done? Okay, now, the Bible said, hold fast to your confession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. Now, just imagine, we used to play tug of war at school, I don't know if you call it that, one team on that side, other team on that side, and you pull by up, you put a hanky in the middle, and whoever pulls the hanky over is the winner, right? The devil's pulling on the other side of that confession. He's trying to get you to stop it. Forget it. Don't remember it. He's trying everything he can. He doesn't want you to say that. You got it? That's why the Bible said hold fast to confession of faith because the devil's pulling on the other side. Hold fast. Don't let it go. Hold fast to your confession of faith without wavering. It means don't change your confession. Don't change it. That's why I asked you to write it down so you can see exactly what you wrote without. You're never going to change it. You're going to say the same thing over and over and over and over without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful who promised. It's going to come to pass. And you're all going to testify. I've got it. Say, I've got it. It's a done deal. deal. My faith is the evidence evidence of the thing I can't see. My faith faith is evidence evidence to God God of the thing thing I can't see. see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise God, praise God, praise God. All right, so you may not miss next weekend as we continue this great series. Please take your seat. Are you glad you came to church this morning? All right. I love teaching this subject. You know why? Because I'm feeding my own faith as I do. I'm feeding my own faith. And I get to hear it three times every weekend. That's good, eh? I'm glad I do too. Now, Tuesday nights are very important. We have great prayer meetings here. I'm telling you, family, if you've ever been to those Tuesday night prayer are oh, amazing. And now, we had really bad weather, and we had only four of our six heaters working. These two heaters were not working last Tuesday night, but you can feel it's really toasty in here right now. In fact, it may even be warm. <laughs> but we got them turned down, so the heaters are working well. Tuesday night's going to be right, nice and warm. And uh, so we encourage you to come. So, uh, Senate America is at a crossroads right now, and the whole world is depending on America to survive. I'm going to show you some videos this weekend, about 10 minutes' worth of videos. They're going to be so encouraging to you. At the prayer meeting, I'll show it to you. So encouraging. And then we, it's going to just lift your spirits. We're going to pray because we know. We are pushing back the force of darkness. We are taking back America. And the whole world is going to be blessed because America is blessed. And I promise you now, family, the war is won right here on our knees. Don't miss. Please come and support this. God needs your prayers. The fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Every prayer avails much. Amen. We've got nowhere to go. We don't have South African citizenship. You know that. We cancelled it. We we had to. We we just we are well, citizens of America. We've got nowhere to go. We came here because we believe God sent us here. And and I believe we are going to pray the will of God into this country and the blessings of God into America because America is the blessing of the whole world. Amen. Our best days are ahead. If we pray.